Hello and welcome to Time for Cakes and Ale with me, Eason. And me, Bex. And this is episode two. We've made it this far. <laughs> um, so uh, this episode we're going to be uh, providing some genre musings on uh, some genre shows that we will muse upon. Mm. And those shows are... <laughs> <laughs> those shows are the return of all the DC CW shows. So Supergirl, Flash... Arrow and, <laughs> and Legends of Tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> All of which have returned in the last few weeks. Some stronger than others, it must be said. Uh, we're really enjoying some. Not so much enjoying others, but still watching them all. So Let's crack on. Yeah. So over the past two weeks, all of the CW DC TV shows have started again. Yeah, so that's Supergirl, The Flash, Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow. So we're two episodes into everything except Legends of Tomorrow, which is one episode in. Yeah. Uh, all of them returning to varying degrees of success. Yeah, and but not, but not, uh, I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Oh uh, no, um. Uh, but they haven't like, rap, you know, suddenly changed from the level of quality they were at before. No. You know, so I think you know, there's, you know, so, you know, the ones that were good before, still good. The ones that are a bit middling, still a bit middling. The ones that are on a downward spiral, are just, you know, they've already bottomed out. They've crashed, <laughs> burning, but we're still watching them. So Supergirl has now moved to the CW to join all the others. Yeah. But exists in a separate universe. So it's on Earth three. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, to Arrow, Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, which are all on Earth 1. Yeah. Except Flash occasionally goes to Earth, Earth two. 2. yeah. And it, you can tell, I think, on Supergirl that the budget's gone down a little bit. Yes, yeah, so it wasn't a major network last year. And it was kind of a bit of a surprise that it was a show from the same people who made Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow. But then it had gone to, I think, CBS or something. Um, for its first season, so it had a it had a really good budget, but it it was weird to have a show that wasn't cohesive with the other um, uh, DC shows. Yeah. Um, instead of having crossovers, etc., and it didn't have the right tone, probably because it had um, a need to fit a certain kind of program that they wanted on a major network versus what they could get away with on uh, on the CW. Yeah. So they had one crossover in its first season where the Flash appears in Supergirl but no appearances from Supergirl in any of the other CW shows I do wonder was that was that before or after they knew that Supergirl was being brought in because either because you could you could do it two ways one they knew it was going to happen so they wanted to start the process early of having the crossover happen alternatively was it a way to boost the ratings of Supergirl by having <laughs> the Flash show up in the hope that everyone who watches the CW shows would then come over and watch this one to see if it boosts its ratings. I have no idea when that decision was made. Yeah, and it, it's it's odd because you've also got other, what well, I suppose you could call them crossovers happening with the other CD, CW DC shows and other network DC shows and mm. that you had uh, John Constantine from the Constantine series yeah. which had been cancelled at that point 
turning up in Arrow, yeah. um, even though they were on completely different networks. So there was the intention, I guess, that they are all existing at the same time, albeit Supergirl on a different Earth, but they all belong in the same continuity, mm. and yet being spread around all these different networks. Um, it does make you wonder what would have happened if Constantine was originally brought in as a CW show. Yeah. Because it probably would have survived uh, beyond its very short first season, where it was just it was a blur of a <laughs> it was a blur of a show. There were really good ideas in it. There were really terrible ideas in it. Mm. But if it had the chance to develop, it could have gone on to something, you know, watchable. Yeah, I think had it been on CW, they could potentially have made it a bit darker, which yeah. it needed to be. Again, it's an odd choice for a network TV yeah. show. And Chaz wouldn't have gone through most of his lives in the first few episodes, <laughs> just showing that he could, uh, that he could, uh, you know, be reborn again and again and again, or whatever, forty times by continually showing people what would happen if he stabbed himself, uh, just for the sake of it, which is completely pointless. Mm. So but that's a rant for another day. That is a rant <laughs> for another day. That, that's a that's a rant for the uh, Hellblazer special yeah. episode, which we will do one day. Um, but there are other DC shows out there which aren't in the continuity. So you've Gotham, got Gotham, mm. Lucifer. Yeah. Well, I suppose that's Vertigo. Yeah. But um, but in terms of the four core DC shows that we have now, they are all on CW. Yeah. And there will be big crossovers that they have yeah. promised happening in the. Upcoming all four series. seasons, sorry, all four shows, um, crossing over for like a week long event. I think later this year, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are smaller ones between pairs of shows later on mm. as well. So, Supergirl moving, you can you can see it. I think in some of the effects of some of the fight scenes that yeah. they're they're having to cope with a smaller budget, yeah. um, which is they seem to be coping with. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's had a slight impact on the cast. Yeah. <laughs> in that, uh, when we heard that it was moving, because obviously all the CD all the CW shows, um, they get made in Vancouver. Whereas, like everything. Yeah, <laughs> everything. Mm -hmm. Um, no matter what city it's meant to be set in, it's Vancouver. Uh, so the whole production setup is there. And when we heard that Supergirl was moving, we we, we both said early on, well, it's Melissa Flockhart going to move yeah. to Vancouver. Yeah. Can't see that happening. And indeed, they've had to find a way to kind of... Um, write her out. Yeah, in a way that keeps her kind of potentially coming back and yeah so she, she'll obviously come back occasionally but yeah. if she's not busy she'll fly out to Vancouver and probably spend a day on set <laughs> and film like scenes for four or five episodes where she kind of walks past says high has a few meetings you know and she'll clean up for the season finale mm. um, but let's be honest she doesn't need to be on Supergirl no yeah because uh, she's married to Han Solo <laughs> she's married to Indiana Jones yeah um, which is a shame because I did kind of like her character. Um, it was it was a different take on the, um, you know, very bossy, overachieving boss to have a very bossy, overachieving. Uh, <laughs> I can't speak to have a very bossy, overachieving um, female boss was unusual because. We're used to seeing, you know, all of these, you know, slightly scary, bossy newspaper editors mm. and a lot of these things like um, Spider Man uh, dude, yeah, and Superman dude, yeah, whatever their names are, Perry, Perry White, yeah. and I was gonna say Perry Mason, didn't I? 
Rainbow. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even sure whether he's Spider-Man or Superman, but one of them. J.J. J. Jonah Jameson. That's, that's, one, that's the one. That's the one. That's yeah. the Spider-Man one. That is the Spider-Man one. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So, so it, it, it was interesting, and I I liked the relationship that um, Kara had with her yeah. as a mentor figure, and as uh, something that could be called resembling a friend. Yeah. And also, she was. It was odd because she was one of the few characters who wasn't that stupid. Mm. So she was starting to, you know, in you know, she was starting to figure out what was going on. It was nice because she clearly knew. She acknowledged. She was the only character, aside from um, Jimmy Olsen, who acknowledged, you know, Superman properly in the first in the first scene. She knew of him, and you know, it was like she seemed to be the head of a news organization in one city and was aware of news going on everywhere else in the world. And she was she was smart. She could figure things out. And it's kind of a shame that a character who almost figured out. That uh, that Kara was actually Supergirl uh, now disappears, yeah. you know, at this point because that's clearly one of the plots they could have they could have done. There's always all these shows have a have a have a trope of you know you know the secret identity which is eventually found out by one of the characters usually one or two seasons in, and this was clearly going to happen with this, um, and then they become part of the circle. Yeah, and um, and the other thing that's a shame is because of this they've obviously decided that they need to give her a new boss and they've gone down guess what it's a grumpy male editor who's shouts a lot and doesn't like her and it's yeah exactly the same as all the other grumpy male editors like the dude from the, the spider thingy and the, yeah. and the superman one <laughs> and the, yeah all those ones where, yeah. where we were talking about before those people it's again <laughs> but he just looks different i've never yeah. seen him before no and it's which is a shame because the the, the one thing that Supergirl was trying to do which was different was it had a lot of female characters yeah. in which you don't necessarily see in some of the other superhero yeah. shows um, and it, it seemed to be a, a very specific choice that they had made in building the show up that way um, and it's completely undone by this move yeah, yeah. yeah like a figure of authority because I think the you know because the other figure of authority is is uh, Hank Henshaw mm. who's a obviously a cover for John Jones the Martian Manhunter um, so you've got him but it was actually quite a, a nice counterpoint to have um, a non-alien uh, sort of figure of authority who was uh, who was Cat Grant and now she's gone although like I said whenever she has a weekend off <laughs> you know she'll probably fly down to Vancouver do a little bit more and then piss off again yeah um, but no so so she appears in this episode basically say she's leaving um for some reason jimmy olsen is going to be made head of catco i don't really understand how he's how he's traversed uh those career steps so rapidly yeah he's gone from uh what sort of head of photography yeah. or something and i'm not entirely sure was it for a newspaper or, or the, well he worked at the daily the website planet or and then he and then he was he moved across didn't he uh uh, and then all of a sudden he's kind of worked his way up to being head of the whole corporation I don't, I don't, I, I don't know maybe we've completely missed something here but that seemed to be what happened at the end yeah. he was being handed the reins to uh, uh, to Catco um, and of course the other big thing is that uh, this season Superman's appeared yes which is 
<laughs> almost forgot that, which is kind of important. Almost um, forgot Superman. Yes, he was teased in, in various annoying glimpses of text messages and he was spoken about a lot in the in the first season. But this season they brought him in um at least for a you know, a couple of episodes at the beginning it's clear he might be recurring um now and again. Uh so what do you think of that? So uh, I was left a bit I guess nonplussed by it. I don't know, he he I'm not sure that he seemed like Superman to me. He's not terrible. He's better than he's better than Henry Cavill, yeah. which doesn't take much. <laughs> he's um, better than Henry Cavill. He's better than Dean Kane, <laughs> which doesn't take much. Um, yeah, no, it, it, he's okay, but he's a very—I don't know—it's it, weird. Oh no, actually, there was also the the Smallville one as well. Yeah. Um, he just—he seems like a Superman that befits this show. And it's a show that doesn't have much going for it. It doesn't have the budget to do like Superman kind of stuff. Yeah. So it ends up with a lot of fistfights. And it ends up with a lot of bits where, look, if it's, you know, it's always been a problem with somebody like Superman. They're invincible. Mm. Um, and still, in the Supergirl universe, it's clear that certain villains haven't heard of him or, um, or know of his powers. So there's still the same thing where people start shooting at him and they seem surprised that the bullets bounce off. And so they go and hit him in the face in the hope that that's <laughs> going to work. And he has some silly quip, you know, like, oh, if the bullets won't work, you know, what do you think a fist is going to do? But it's silly because everyone knows who Superman is. Yeah. Um, it's just a bit odd that these things happen. He's like a very low-rent Superman who's brought in. He's a very, I mean, he's he's competent. Um, uh but it is kind of of the caliber of superhero that you expect in Supergirl, which doesn't aim too high. Yeah, um, I, I think also you you wouldn't want a Superman that started stealing the show. Yeah, he's he's a Superman who feels like a secondary character yeah. because the one thing that you don't want is to make it feel like super, the Supergirl show is being taken over yeah. by, or Superman. he's coming in to save the day all the time. Uh, yeah. yeah. And he does leave at the end, actually, after a couple of episodes with the promise of returning. So it's clear they brought him in just to kind of show that he exists in person and have him do a few things. But he clearly... No, you're right. I mean, he, he only works really in tandem with Supergirl to get things done here, um, which is an important thing. But it's kind of odd as to why he was brought in really anyway. But maybe it was just to address the fact that you can't just keep talking about him or show him in bizarre silhouettes and things like that without actually showing him on the show a little bit. Yeah. So overall, I think that I'm actually probably enjoying the last couple of episodes of this season two than I did of quite a few of the episodes of season one. Yeah. I mean, season one was... it Like, the quality was all over the place. It started off okay, and then it kind of went into this... Like, the ongoing plot with her aunt and mm. the other remaining people from kryptonite was a bit silly it went on and on it's kind of this you know, you know the there's some weird fascination with uh, the family dynasties on krypton and i don't really care <laughs> they clearly worry about it but i don't and you don't care about who these characters are mm. um and they've got this central mystery of um dean kane yeah, um, so, so or the character he plays, not him. <laughs> so her adopted father, yeah, um, who is missing um, and presumably nabbed by someone. Yeah, human MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah. And, and we've started to 
glimpse now of the organisation that has him, yeah. um, including the new character that they've introduced in series two, um, who's the woman who seems to run this organisation, mm. who both of us spent several minutes desperately racking our brain trying to figure out <laughs> where we'd seen her before, and she uh, was from Twin Peaks. Yes, many, many years ago. She <laughs> yeah. was in the original, for, for anyone who cares and who watched it, uh, she's a character who appears in the second season of uh, Twin Peaks as an associate of uh, Thomas Eckhart. Mm. But again, like the Constantine Hellblazer situation, the Twin Peaks conversation is for another day. <laughs> um, but it's weird to see these people 25 years on, they still look the same, and you're thinking, oh, I wonder what happened to them. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. But anyway, uh, no, no, that happens, and she's dealing with... Uh, with the dude who's not Tom Hardy. Yeah, bad some, Tom Hardy. Yeah, who's like some British dude who looks a bit like Tom Hardy, who becomes, what's his name, Metallo or something? Yeah. And he has this big kryptonite thing in his chest. Uh, and that's about it. Basically, he causes some problems and he gets taken down. Yeah, slightly rubbish villain. Yeah. But it's just, I, I don't understand. I, I don't know if he's meant to be British uh, or if he's like... A, Canadian, local Canadian actors putting on a British accent or he's like one of those British actors who's gone to seek their fame and fortune in, in Vancouver <laughs> in the hope they, they'll be on some show um, but the problem is he's a low rent Tom Hardy yeah, and it's just very jarring to watch him deliver lines very badly <laughs> although probably as badly as Tom Hardy would deliver <laughs> um, it's just it's just very weird to have him in it and it was just you know he's a he was a callback to the kind of really crappy villains you had in season one. You know, they turn up, a bit of kryptonite, they faff about for a little bit, they get taken down in a stupid fist fight. You know, bit of a you know witty one-liner, slap to the head, donezo. Yeah. You know. So, that's Supergirl, which is our Monday night fix. Yeah. And then Tuesday night is The Flash which I think has been consistently the best of yep. all of the CWDC shows. Although, I was thinking about this, and I agree with you, but The Flash is only the beginning of Series 3, mm. and Arrow was still there at the beginning of Season 3 as well. That's true, yeah. You know, So there's still time for The Flash to become terrible. <laughs> and still, you know, and for the Arrow to retain its crown as a little bit better. <laughs> um, no, no, I think you're right. I mean... The Flash has had a lot more going on in its first two seasons. Um, and uh, for those of you who watched it, the end of season two uh, initiated um, the events that would lead to the Flashpoint storyline um, in TV form. So I was surprised, actually, by how much they got through in the first two episodes, particularly the first episode of series three. Mm. Just the sheer speed at which they got through the plot. Um, and... I was expecting Flashpoint to be dragged out longer than it was. Yeah. I was thinking maybe we'll get two or three episodes yeah. of Flashpoint. And it itself. will eventually start be um, brought back to normal. And yeah, yeah. So I was a bit stunned by how quickly it tried to effectively reset back to the new normal in which there are some things that has mm. changed. So he's back in a timeline which. Uh, several key things have happened which he doesn't remember because they didn't happen in the timeline that he originally came yeah. from so so the flashpoint event was initiated when he went back in time uh to prevent his mum being killed um and then you now have a situation where that obviously alters all the events of the future and he lives like that for a while but then he realizes that he's in essentially 
what they refer to as the flashpoint universe where things are going to start becoming unstable etc um and what he needs to do is to try and actually reset it to the original timeline so he goes back again um but allows his mother to get killed and when he returns to sort of the prime timeline it's not perfectly back to normal and that's kind of the setting now so it's not like he's um he's made this massive change and um, everything's back to normal now he's undone it there are clearly consequences of, of this event which are um clearly going to be important for the for the upcoming season yeah so so there is you know at least one thing that has happened to every character in the sort of flash scooby gang mm. um that has negatively affected them in some way um some of which he's now aware of and has started you know having to come to terms with and trying to make things right with the people that he's affected and one rather big one that nobody else seems to be mm. aware of yet except for the person affected yeah. which is uh caitlin has somehow ended up with the powers that she had on earth too as killer frost yeah and also there are also the secrets which he knows about which he's not telling them so um it's a spoiler but um obviously uh wally had uh he was kid flash in the alternate um in the flashpoint universe yeah um and one of the things they clearly are talking about is the fact that um they don't want to know what barry knows so so the rest of the scooby gang don't want to know what barry knows from his trip back to the alternate um uh, flashpoint universe um and one of the things he does know about is the fact that wally becomes uh, kid flash yeah um, and that's clearly going to play out at some point that's why they brought him in um he's meant to be kid flash in the comics etc and you know maybe they will just say it only happened once in the in the flashpoint universe but i doubt that i think especially now we have this new villain called alchemy alchemy is yeah, the name yeah. Um, who appears to be going around giving people powers that they had in the Flashpoint universe? Yeah, yeah. Um, which so far has only affected villains, but I would assume yeah, will yeah. at some point um, will will be the plot point that brings Wally into yeah. it, and he will find out that he was in fact Kid Flash yeah. in Flashpoint. But Flash seems to have maintained a very consistent tone all the way through, where it has a it has a sense of warmth and joy to it that is lacking i think in something like arrow yeah. where he actually seems to enjoy being a superhero yeah. and it's the same thing that supergirl has which is that they enjoy she, helping people yeah yeah um it, it isn't a chore for them um even though sometimes it brings tragedy mm. and maybe that's why the early series of arrow worked because he genuinely he genuinely did want to save the city etc and he felt that by being this vigilante he would do that yeah but now he's got tired of it he's tired of the it's i mean maybe it's very true to his character he's you know he was a he was a he was quite arrogant beforehand and maybe he's starting to get annoyed by the the cost of it to the people around him i mean you know it's a very you know maybe he he sees it as a very selfless thing whereas deep down he, he doesn't want these things to keep happening to him to the people around him and he's just kind of like i want it to end so he's kind of he he's like a reluctant vigilante now but he's so far into it that he has to keep doing it yeah um and it makes it very i think it should make him a more interesting character than he is um instead like arrow just comes across as genuinely quite moody yeah. and a bit pissed off with things and he's a bit 
he's grumpy all the time it's all it's all gone very um grim and having conversations about you know what it means to be a hero and and how it's just it's all it's all just a bit stupid now yeah you know he should just go back to being the same arrow who was there when he came back from the island uh, and just started you know being the vigilante that he was in those series rather than it's almost like he has to live up to the hype and uh he just can't yeah everybody in that show seems to be permanently grumpy with each other every conversation is everyone disagreeing with everyone else Um, and they're disagreements that just get perpetuated on and on and on and it makes the show a bit of a grind to watch after because if they don't if they don't get on how are you supposed to buy into anything likable it's okay to have that dynamic but it's hard to engage with a show where everyone is just constantly where 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 your team of heroes is is uh, squabbling with each other all the time. Yeah. You know, and the, and also this series as well. It's kind of odd because they've all separated. Um, like the original team broke up at the end of season four. Uh, arguably, the whole show broke up at the end of season four, and then and now they've they're all in different places. It's clear there'll be some event that will bring them all back together again. They'll probably reform the team and. But until that, it's just it's it, 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 you know it's really hard going, um, and Arrow has a different problem to the others in that it has a structural issue. So it has these flashbacks in it, mm. and this time the flashbacks are in Russia. Uh, this is the fifth year of of his um, uh, his five years his of five years being of on the island, being in on which the island. he wasn't, wasn't on the island yeah. for most of the time anyway. Well, he does kind of go back and forth and back and forth, and he must end up there because he gets he gets he gets uh, rescued from there, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, so now he's it, it's got this problem where they have these flashbacks where they're getting more and more ridiculous. It's like he has a lesson that he has to learn in the modern time, or sorry, well, yeah, in the current timeline. Yeah. And they just do a flashback where he learns that lesson. <laughs> Specifically, he remembers it at this particular point when he needs to do something. Mm. And then the next episode, it's clear, he'll have another problem. He won't be able to sort it out. Then they'll show a flashback. I'm never sure if he's conscious of these flashbacks. Is he aware of what's going on? Because <laughs> they're being shown at a very key point for his character development in the current timeline. Yeah. But it's completely unclear how he happens to remember these things at the right time, but fail to remember them up until, you know, up until this point. So, so there's a silly thing that happens this week where he's, there's a silly game with a bell. Mm. And it's clearly meant to be some kind of Mr. Miyagi style thing where he's training his new his new recruits uh, with a game where he stands in the way of a group of people and a bell and, and they have to ring the bell. So they have to get through him and they have to beat him up and get through him and ring the bell and that's how they win. And this is all very well. And then it turns out he learnt this lesson when he was trained in the same game when he was in Russia. And he learnt that the way to beat that game was to act as a team so everyone works together and a few people distract the people who are in the way and then one person runs for the bell and there's a lesson about teamwork there and they reveal this as a in the backstory uh, uh via this flashback just as he's explaining it to uh the people who have just learned that they can use teamwork as well and they can ring the bell that way it's bonkers yeah because it's just it's odd. I mean, unless he is literally thinking about these flashbacks all the time, which would be weird because he shouldn't really be, you know, a, you know, a vigilante who's constantly having flashbacks like this. But it's weird. He's like, like it's become this kind of, I need a moral for this week. 
And you know what? I learned it in Russia. <laughs> and uh, this is what's going to happen for the audience. You know, it's like, uh, what's that show where it's, um, where they say, uh, uh, for the audience at home, but not in the studio. And then they show something. What's that from? Oh, uh, you mean, um, is it on, uh, it's the radio thing. Um, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Is it? Where they, where they sh- tell the audience what the uh, sound charade yeah, it's, is. Yeah, yeah, it's that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. It's like that. It's like he's signposting something for the audience to see. But to be honest, the audience doesn't need to see him, ex- you know, learn this lesson in the hope that he can then, mm. you know, pass it on to next generation. But... And it, when you think back to the first two seasons of Arrow, which were really good, the flashbacks I had back then, they made sense, but they didn't have this direct correlation to he learned a thing in the past and therefore he knows it now there was a real sense of mystery and what was going on in the flashback particularly in season one where you didn't really know that much about the island and the other people who were there that made the flashbacks as interesting narratively as what was going on in the present time and then in season two it worked particularly well because of course you had Slade Wilson in both the flashbacks and the modern day and you were learning why Slade Wilson was so mm. pissed off with him and, and it was really good because I remember that in that plot they didn't show that Slade Wilson was actually a bad guy for most of it mm. but when they finally have the reveal that he's a bit unstable that's when you realise that in the current timeline he is actually the villain of that season yeah. and he's orchestrating events so you're right I think I think the you know it was just a it was a subplot that was told as a flashback that was where the story was strung throughout the season in order to tell a coherent story where there was a payoff that wrapped up at the end but um it just didn't it just doesn't work now it's become this kind of i need to learn a lesson in the past so that i can explain things in the present yeah it, it all started getting a bit dodgy in season three but then season four it was it just went off a cliff you had all the nonsense about um the mask on the island oh my goodness and for ages you kept thinking how how does he not realize what damien dark is doing and where all this magic comes from when he's already seen this thing and he's already experienced what it's capable of which is odd i think you know it's very it's a very lame plot by the writers because essentially they're giving the audience information um which you would hope the lead character knows as well because he has experienced these things but it turns out you're way ahead of him and when he figures it out i i was originally hoping there'd be some other you know some other revelation that he would have on top of what the audience knew it turned out he knew about 80 percent of what the audience knew (laughs) at that point and it didn't it didn't lend itself well to him being in any way competent um to solve any problems but it just it was really odd it was like it was like they they had a plot that was maybe I don't know, maybe they filmed the whole the whole backstory thing and they spread it out throughout the season, but they actually could have only done it in the first few episodes just to kind of have a little bit and then you do something else for the plot. But you can't have them running concurrently if the relevance of the flashback um, becomes apparent at the wrong time for the current timeline. Yeah. Um, it's just a bit weird. It, that coupled with Damien Dark being such a rubbish villain I mean the worst villain how many times can a villain have the opportunity to kill the people who are trying to destroy his plans 
um, and come up with an excuse not to. Well, I, I think the problem is it wasn't usually him. It was probably a stunt double most of the time. <laughs> So that's the other problem with Arrow. It does have the worst, the worst stunt doubles. It was the, the stunt double for Damien yeah. Dark was about a foot taller, yeah. wearing a bad wig. Yeah, I think in most scenes you can probably see the actual actor kind of standing offside, <laughs> just watching it. You know, because it was it was terrible watching it actually. Because in certain points you could see that it was it was just like it's really tough when all you're watching are bad reaction shots to being hit or getting up off the ground mm. or falling over a little bit. And then you've got somebody who's way too big and has way too much um, kung fu in them. I mean, their gait is different. They know how to behave. You know, he can't even get into the right stance before they cut to a stunt. It's just a different person. And they've sprayed their hair white, given them a black suit. And they're like, you know, just, just fight the arrow and it'll look fine. It's from a distance, but it's not from a distance. That's the problem. It's often it's quite close and you can see exactly what's going on and wigs are moving around and... It's just, it's a complete mess. And even this week in the new episode of Arrow, the fear double mm. was really weird. It yeah. was like, there was, it was clearly some free runner they got. And they just, they're now, now they're getting lazy. They're just getting anyone in, in Vancouver, put a wig on them, get them to do some stunts and then cut back to, you know, an actual actor or actress in the Arrow show. And it's not as obvious as it is in, in the other ones. Mm. Um, I mean, Arrow is just terrible for this. Uh, like maybe it's because it relies so much on uh, on stunt people. Yeah. Um, and when they're wearing their outfits and they've got their hoods up, you can disguise it to an extent. Yeah. But but otherwise, it, I mean, it's so it's so nineteen ninety. The <laughs> level of the level of bad um, stunt makeup in this. I mean, the stunts are great, but they're not making an effort at all. No. You know, it's like the kind of thing you see in the early seasons of Buffy. Yeah, yeah. When it was just different. It was different people. It was. It was that era when they would put, you know, a hulking dude in a blonde wig, you know, and pretend to be Buffy. And then, like, <laughs> next season, they were like, okay, we'll make them a bit shorter. And then they'll make... And then eventually, it was clearly quite a... It was actually probably quite a good balance between her and a very, very good uh, stunt double. Yeah. But the early seasons, they, they, they just don't bother. No, there's, mm. there's that sword fight at the end of season two where there are aerial shots of two people fighting... Who... Oh, with her and Angel yeah, in in, yeah. Uh, in becoming. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. And it's it's like they weren't even trying to get yeah. people. But they hope that because it's from above, it looks fine. But it doesn't because these people are the wrong size. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I don't know. It's strange. It's still happening in Arrow. But... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's twenty years on. You can do something a bit more with it. Yeah. And speaking of Damien Dark. Yeah, I was not best pleased to see that he has come back. For what unfathomable reason, he's now back in Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, Legends of Tomorrow. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a terrible program. It really is. It's it, it like I try to stop watching it every week um when the first season was on. I couldn't. You know, I kind of stuck with it because I felt I had to. In the hope there was some payoff. It was, it was only a half season long yeah, as well. I thought it's 10, 10, 13 episodes, whatever, you can get through it. Um, that was a mistake. <laughs> because it, it really is. It was. I, I still don't have a clue what that season was about. There was a group of people who were all rejects from, from the other shows. Who were apparently legends, which is odd. Because the real legends are the stars of the shows. <laughs> uh, who... Um, 
you know, you know, from which they've come. So it's odd that Rip Hunter didn't recruit, uh, you know, Arrow and Flash, uh, etc. He went for the sub character. He went for Captain Cold and his snarliness and Heatwave, who just has a gun. He has a gun. <laughs> that is his superpower. That is his superpower. He has a, a, yeah, and if there is any difference in that, I mean, if he isn't, I mean, if he does have some skill, I'd, I'd very much like to know. <laughs> but he has a, a heat, you know, um, like a like a flamethrower, a portable handgun flamethrower. And Captain Cold has the equivalent, but a cold gun, a cold ray. <laughs> Other than that, no, no powers at all. And then they had Hawk Girl and Hawk Man, who were terrible. Oh, they're, they're, I'm, um, I'm very glad that they uh, exited stage left. Yeah, I mean, the season. like they were a terrible excuse for a plot for that season. It was all about those two and Vandal Savage. Um, it was terrible, and they, you know, they, they were two of the worst actors they could have being given probably the most important roles mm. and they couldn't hold it together there's Sarah Lance who's actually admittedly quite good but she's a, she was the, the it's probably you know her her being good in Legends of Tomorrow is at the expense of the quality drop in in Arrow that yeah. took place she, she was a much better canary than Laurel well anyone much would better. be yeah <laughs> I would be a better canary than Laurel, to be fair. Yeah, but you haven't had the weeks of training uh, that, uh, uh, that Laurel had to make her into a superhero. It's ridiculous. Um, and then you have, uh, what's his name? You've got Firestorm. Firestorm. And they're kind of, they're kind of, they serve their purpose. Um, you know. But the, pro- the fundamental problem is, I don't really understand what the point of this is. Because season one... It was an like the monologue over the opening credits is some bizarre ripoff of Doctor Who. Mm. It's like a it's like somebody has tried to make a knockoff version of Doctor Who, and they've spoken to a lawyer and they've worked out what you legally can and cannot say to make yourself you know immune to you know any kind of legal action while still basically pretending that you're the Doctor. And it doesn't help that it's Rory from Doctor Who, yeah. from uh, sort of Matt Smith era. Wearing Who. a coat that looks yeah. like David Tennant's Doctor's coat. On some kind of time ship <laughs> and talking about all this time-related things and clearly thinking, you know, with a bit of a wink to the audience, oh, look what I'm doing. Uh, it's not clever. Um, and it's just silly. And actually, it's weird because you can always criticise um, New Who for having dodgy effects and having problems. But actually, this actually was worse in many respects um, in terms of the quality it had. I mean, the plots were the plot was terrible. Um, oh um, but as with all these things, it's a terrible show. But it's come back for season two. Yeah. Um, which is like we were saying about a few minutes ago. Um, yeah, the new antagonist, at least at the beginning, appears to be uh, Damien Dart. So if you thought you got rid of him, well, didn't happen. Um, and a surprise feature at the end is uh, the return of Eobard Thorne as well from The Flash. So clearly they're trying to make it all intermingled and interesting, but I don't know. I'm not sure how much I can take from this. I think it's clear that they knew they had to get rid of Hawk Girl and Hawkman, but yeah. they need to have a plot. Um, yeah, they, they needed to get rid of them, and they needed to get rid of the completely unnecessary love triangle it wasn't even really a triangle it was a quadrant it was a pentagram at one point i'm sure um it, they were just it's, it's completely unnecessary it, it's almost as if they feel they have to put these love triangles into these shows 
they don't need them. It doesn't have to be part of the plot. As soon as you put a female character into the show, it doesn't mean that she has to have a, oh, but I love you, oh, but I love you, and I don't know who to choose. It's like, come on. It's, it's completely unnecessary, and it's a cliche, and they use it even when there is no particular purpose to using yeah. it. They use it to, I'm sure the last series of Legends of Tomorrow, they used it to fill time. Yeah. There were episodes where they had long, drawn-out conversations between two or three characters in the corridors of the ship, just banging on about this love triangle and whether, oh, I love you, but also I love Hawkman because he's my destiny and whatever. And they killed him off and then yeah. fell back. And, yeah, yeah. and you think, this is really cheap filler time on this show because you've got a couple of cameras and the studio set of the ship that they kept using. Which isn't the TARDIS. Which isn't the TARDIS, no, it's definitely not the TARDIS. It travels in time and space, and it belongs to a group of uh, time, time masters, masters yeah. not time lords, it, not time lords, and it's not the TARDIS. Yeah, it's, it's the wave ride. It's a different thing, completely different thing. Yeah, ridiculous. So it it really bugged me last time. Mm. You didn't have to be that lazy with the characters that that would be the personal connection that started mm. to to happen between them. But I suppose you know we'll wait and see how this season goes. Because, to be honest, it can't be any worse than last season. No. If it, I mean, I think they'll take more care over it. I think, I think they, it's clear that they've made some changes already. Um, like, they've got rid of, at least in the first episode, Rip Hunter is now missing. And that's clearly going to be a plot for the, for the upcoming episodes, you know, finding out where he is, etc. Um, there is this issue of trying to work out, you know, what Damien Dark is up to. They don't, um, the, the legends don't know who... Uh, uh, who Eobar Thorne is. It's going to interact now with um, the Justice Society of America. There's lots of things that could happen. To be honest, it could all fall flat on its face. Um, but the fact that they might have the chance to tie it in with the other seasons a bit more, sorry, the, uh, the other uh, CW series a bit more, might help it. Um, mm. But you just don't know. I mean, it could turn out to be terrible. I'm expecting it to be terrible, and if it's any better than terrible, that will be a nice surprise. Yeah. Well, well, it will keep us going for the next few months. That's true. Yeah. And it's not the worst CW show that we uh, keep watching against our better judgment, uh, but the supernatural rant from Wait Until That Comes Back. Yeah, season 12, on its way. So that's it for Time for Cakes and Ale episode two, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yes, that was the official title uh, <laughs> of that episode. Um, so next time, uh, in a startlingly original fashion, we're going to go for a classic next in the sequence, episode three. The Revenge. It's not The Revenge. It's not The Revenge. No, it's not The Revenge. It was uh, the George 3D. Oh, which one's The Revenge? It was the fourth one. Okay. So can we... <laughs> Maybe we'll go episode three, season of the witch instead. Oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> it's getting worse. Isn't it, it is. We'll just do lots of sequel titles things. Then we will run out. We'll end up having to do all these things from Nightmare on Elm Street sequels mm. and Friday the Thirteenth sequels. Mm. Or Police Academy sequels. Or poli- or there are always <laughs> that underrated series of Police Academy sequels. Mm. What was the third one? It was uh, Back in Training. No, it wasn't. Was it?
<laughs> what I was should, the third one? Shouldn't have sounded so severe there. Really. <laughs> no, it was um, what was it? What was it? There's, I can't remember what they are now. There's a uh, Citizens on Patrol. It's the fourth one. Yeah. The Miami Beach. It's the fifth one. A silent Miami Beach. Yeah. What was the sixth one? City but, under siege. City under siege. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, mission to Moscow. Yeah. So what was the, the first one was just uh, you're right actually. You're right, it was actually back in training. Because the first one's Police Academy, and the yeah. second one is their first assignment. Uh, so that was a waste of time having that argument. <laughs> I was completely wrong the whole time. So, what are we musing about next time? Uh, I think we will be talking a little bit about uh, the return of Twin Peaks, mm. uh, which is in book form this year, in anticipation of the long-awaited season three next year. Hmm. And knowing you, it's going to be a very long episode. <laughs> well, I'll see what they. <laughs> so join us then. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>